This is the Motley Fool Money Mailbag. Welcome to Motley Fool Money and our very special Sunday Mailbag edition. It's always going to be special. It's always, well, at least until further notice, it's going to be Sunday. He is still going to be Andrew Ram Page. How are you, buddy? Very good, sir. How are you? I'm exceptionally well. I am, uh, I am curious how your uh, last couple of days have been. Pretty good, I think. Not sure, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Well, I did. I did speak to you about fifteen minutes ago. Oh, yeah, we do. Yeah, we do record this back to back. Yes, but but through, do, the, yeah. through the magic of the internet, mate, it's actually a day and a half later. So that's kind of it's amazing how that happens. It is. Um, it is, mate. Lots of great questions from our our listeners. I have one for you though. Mm-hmm. I, I am curious. Uh, this strawman.com thing. It sounds like it might have legs. What, what is it? It's a non-public. <laughs> Uh, asset allocation <laughs> membership organization. <laughs> I like that. That's very nicely done. Well done. Well done. Mate, let's get straight to the questions. Uh, we get one from Jesse who says, Hi, team. Thanks for giving us Scots of laughs and rambles. I like that. He says, It's not great, but it's all I've got right now. All good. Great, great. That is a brilliant dad joke. Scots uh, of material laughs and right rambles. There. there you go. Thanks also, he says, for your bi weekly sense check in the podcast machine. He then says, quote, See, Ram, they like the podcast machine, end quote. They do. If they Jesse do. It's catching it on. True. Despite the fact you say the same thing every week, I really do look forward to every <laughs> podcast. So much so that I'm half, even if I'm halfway through a human lab or a Hamish and Andy podcast, I'll start yours before finishing theirs. If that isn't the highest Hello. praise, I don't know what is, says Jesse. I'll take that, that. That is the highest praise. I Cop that, Hamish that. Nandy. You would be one of the hacks that, you know, only a four billion people listen to. Anyway, <laughs> that's pretty good, though. Uh, Jesse yes, says, take it. Yeah. anyways, thanks to you guys, some various FIRE, I know you know the acronym, Scott, financially independent, retire early. See, Jesse, I do. Advocates and my financially limited upbringing I've invested all of my savings, minus a rainy day amount, he says, and have been investing more than half of my after-tax salary. That's brilliant. Into the Vanguard Australian Shares ETF, the Vanguard Global ETF, and the NASDAQ 100 ETF each month. Half of you, mate, you, Jesse, you'll be, you'll be completely fine, mate. Keep that, keep that up, and we'll be asking you for a loan. I've made a couple of smaller purchases, he says, but these are relatively minor deviations from my core strategy. Now, he's got yeah, some questions. One. I'm not really sure how much NASDAQ 100 to hold. What are your thoughts on this? I know it's a bit more expensive fees-wise, but in today's world, surely it's going to beat the Vanguard Global ETF. Although he says the Vanguard Global ETF has tech in it, so who cares? Curious to hear both your thoughts on this. What do you reckon, mate? Is the NASDAQ going to beat the Vanguard Global ETF over the long term? Oh, I mean, how can you know for sure? So I would, I'm very much you hesitate you to make it in this industry, de- mate. Yeah, you, I, you're I know. You're supposed to right? choose an option and say it with conviction that how this works. Oh, well, actually, obviously what, it's going to be, yeah, go on. Well, actually what you do is you make a variety of very firm predictions and then you just do the victory lap on the one that, you know, just happens to be, to be right. That's that's how the smart money We'll do goes. two versions of this podcast. We'll do one where you say the Nasdaq's going to beat the pants off. The other one we say, we'll do three. <laughs> that's right. The other one we say Vanguard. The other one we say, oh, about even, I think. And we'll come back and check all three in uh, 20 years' time. Oh, it's scary how often that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I Look. Where are your chips? Take it for what it's worth, but I feel as though- They'll, they'll be close, but I think the NASDAQ 100 might have a better edge. It's interesting when you look at the S&P 500 and you take out the top seven stocks, mm. it's like the, the big the big tech stocks, uh, essentially, market's down. Um, it's, 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 it, all the heavy lifting has been done mm. by a very, very select handful of stocks. In fact, I think it's the, the biggest um, concentration of performance Oh, there's a special term for it, or this is escaping me at the moment, of performance concentration within an index that we've seen in many, many, many decades. Mm. I don't know what that means, other than it's just an interesting factoid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, and it's an uh, after-fact um, one too, right? It could be the same in 10 years or different in 10 years, we don't know. It could, yeah. yeah. So yeah. Uh, I, I think I probably read it in the context of, therefore, it's a crash is about to happen. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I draw that bow. But mm. yeah, um, <clears throat> yeah, it's... I think it's it's an interesting thing to opine on, but mm. 
the, I wouldn't change anything that you're doing, frankly. You've got some local shares, some overseas shares, and with the NASDAQ 100, you're sort of you, you're putting a bit of a e- bigger emphasis on tech. Um, is that the best way? I don't know. Ask me in 10 years, and I'll let you know what the best best approach would have been. But I don't I don't feel it's anything other than ridiculously sensible. <laughs> um, you know, and 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 let's say that you change it all together, and you just like you you don't take it out of the Nasdaq 100 and just go S and P 500 and ASX 200. I would even say over the course of your entire career, you might be talking at probably a less than one or two percent difference compounded over that time, which I admittedly can add up, but it's not like a. You know, if you do this, you'll you'll be buying a Lambo next week, and if you don't, you'll be living in the gutter. It's like the distinction is not that big, mm. but I'm right, I'm really not offering any great help here, mate. What do you think? Um, no, I think if you've, you've actually covered it nicely, we, we can't know. Uh, I would suspect, forced to bet, that the Nasdaq will win. Yeah. Um, that being said, I talked on Friday about tech, right? And I think the tech, I've, I've said many times, it feels like a market line and I hate it that it does, but it's true. These companies are literally inventing the future. And if they're not doing it themselves, they're buying the businesses that are. Microsoft owns a chunk of, of uh, ChatGPT, for example, and around and around yep. it goes. So uh, I would suspect that that's going to be true. That being said, you could have believed that in 1999 and, and got your backside handed to you because the shares were already too expensive. So you've got to be careful not to confuse the companies with the prices or the valuations of those businesses. Uh, but I have to say, I don't imagine a future where tech is less relevant rather than more relevant. And if tech's more relevant, there are probably more tech companies making more money. Uh, it probably accrues to the biggest end of town. There's 100 companies in the NASDAQ 100, so it doesn't even have to be the top dozen, uh, but the top 100 probably do better. So I, I would suspect it would too. I own both of these ETFs for the, for the record. Um, I would spread the investment across both really honestly because you don't need to know that's the other thing right you don't you don't mm. need to know uh it is a higher fee one so it's got to beat it my more to to pay the fees back um but i would suspect that's true do you know what's uh, interesting i think we, mm. we're the, the the advent one of the under recognized advantages of very big tech mm. is that they enjoy a much much lower cost of capital so there's a usual like there are when it comes to a lot of technologies network effects are a real thing mm-hmm. they're extraordinarily deep moats i'd argue probably the deepest kind of moats that, yep. that, that you, that you can have once once the network effect is, is big enough and myspace had one but it wasn't very effective until you know facebook's was just phenomenally large but yes i agree yep. with you yep and 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 so they're just they're very dominant and it, it just they have learned the lesson of history we we opined on this in, in not mm. too long ago um, on one of the pods but but I, the, the recognition is, I think, that the, the biggest existential threat that they have it, for, what, for what threats they do have on that front are the next Sergey and Larry, you know, they're in their garage <laughs> that, that invent the new thing yeah. that none of us are talking about because it just doesn't exist yet. Yeah. But they also know that as soon as it shows up, they'll just buy it out. Yeah. And, and yeah. they also know, I would argue, that they that that a lot of them are they're going to end up overpaying things that don't end up being they look good oh my gosh TikTok everyone's TikToking okay let's buy TikTok <laughs> you know and okay. then oh okay it turns out that was a passing fad but you can afford to do it right yeah, but you want to you want to starve you want to starve um, all of your potential or your competitors and your potential competitors of oxygen and you're able to do that because you've just got more money than God that you organically sort of uh, generate, <laughs> but also that you can raise at the click of your fingers yeah. as well. Yeah. And it just gives them a very, 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 very big a- a- advantage. So mm. you know, a great example of this, I think, is Microsoft. So um, Microsoft was was here for the internet boom mark one, mm-hmm. right? And And- to Gates and the other uh, operators' credit, you know, it gets a lot of bad press because, like, oh, if you bought it in two thousand, it took you ten or fifteen years to break even. But that's yeah. that's I don't think that's fair because if you want to pick the high point of a bubble and use that as the benchmark to measure from, it's not. You, know, you, you go back a few years before that, yeah. and it's incredible. In fact, even if you do go to the, the peak of the boom through till now, it's like well, it's still done incredibly well. Yeah, right? Well, yeah, remarkable. And the and the fact that w- think about what has changed between 1999 and 2023 <laughs> in tech. <laughs> Yeah. And Microsoft is still there. Yeah, it's incredible. And that, that, that is, there is something were, to be- not only there, they, they were late to the cloud. They were yeah, really they were late to the cloud. Late to it, right. 
you know, and and uh, I, I think I think that's I think that's a very important lesson. Again, not, the the past doesn't guarantee the future, but I think it is I think it is something worth noting. When you start looking at other companies in the S and P five hundred, the US structurally is pretty much outsourced most of most of the other stuff, right? And and the the real yep. edge that they have is in technology. That's their competitive strength. It's a, it's a competitive strength beyond the cost of capital thing. Think of if you're a kid in Bangladesh who mm. just happens to be a maths whiz and a programming genius. Well, where where do you dream of headed heading to? Mm-hmm. You, know, you, you go to Silicon Valley, and it doesn't even have to be that. You know, you're born in in middle class Sydney, right? And like, and I've got the the capability and brains to pursue my passion. I'm going. I'm going to Silicon Valley. Like, what, what, like I don't I think about that for like three microseconds, mm-hmm. and I'm going to Silicon Valley, yeah. and and that is where yes, all the tech bros and all that horrible sort of culture. And there's you know there's a there's a you know a, a less appealing part of it. But again, that is brand America, brand Silicon Valley, and that that is an, itself another competitive position. So I don't know where the next big tech breakthrough is going to come from. But I reckon there's a pretty good chance it comes from a particular geography in the yeah. in the world, and and for that all of that reason, sorry, just to sort of colour things in a little bit more, I feel as though the the Nasdaq 100 is is not a terrible place to put some money. That's right, mate. I think that's right. Uh, it's also uh, I think I think it's worth thinking about that in the context too of uh, some uh, occasional political uh, demands to make more things in America or make more things in Australia. It's like. Silicon Valley is like seriously. Who who says you know what? That's not good enough. Let's go. Let's go and employ some people in lower wage jobs, making some stuff they can do cheap more cheaply overseas. Just mm-hmm. blows my mind. Anyway, yep. question from second question from Jesse. A while back, Scott, you mentioned you wouldn't buy VGS. This is the Vanguard Global ETF, and maybe the Nasdaq ETF. He says in brackets, while the Australian dollar was weak compared to the US dollar, I have felt similarly. The problem is I hold considerably less. It's global than Australian ETFs. And who knows how long the dollar is going to be weaker than average. Maybe I'm being too short-sighted. I should just keep buying into the Vanguard Australian shares ETF while the dollar is weak. Or does there come a time when I should change my thinking? The Nasdaq I have bought is up 25% in under a year, which is great. But I haven't bought more in quite some time. Would love to hear your thoughts. I had to think about my monthly ETF purchase. Additionally, he says, could you include the currency hedged versions of these ETFs? Ram has mentioned these before along his usual and helpful, mind you, adage of no free lunches, apart from dollar cost averaging. What's the cost of their hedged Vanguard Global Shares ETF? Why is it undesirable in the long term? I imagine it's more than the 0.03% annual management fee. Help me think, says Jesse. Um... I'll, I'll go first in this one, yeah, Ram, and you yeah, can yeah. jump in. Um, so I really, really don't like trying to play currency games, um, but there are points in time at which the odds just get longer as the currency moves to or towards historical extremes. Uh, and the question really, which goes back to the Vanguard thing, uh, sorry, the Vanguard Global versus NASDAQ, at some point you've got to ask yourself, will I do better investing in the Vanguard Australian shares ETF or the Vanguard global ETF, knowing I'm giving myself, I'm giving away some points of return if the dollar goes back to, to average over time. I'm a big fan of the concept of mean reversion, that is things going back to average, uh, where there are relative comparators like exchange rates, because it's a relative measure of currency. It's not an absolute measure like a share price that can go up and up and up forever. Uh, I guess, you know, you, you can't, I suppose, I mean, it's possible for one Australian dollar to be worth, you know, one or a million US cents, I suppose, at some level, but the reality is not going to. It's going to fluctuate around an average. Now, it doesn't have to go back to the, the previous average. Remembering the data is only 40 years old. We only floated the dollar 40 years ago. So it's not exactly super, super long term, probably long enough. Uh, and if I, if the dollar, let's say the dollar goes back to an average of, I don't know, call it 78 cents to make my life easy. That's 15 cents higher than now. I'd be giving away a 25% return buying at 60 odd or 63 cents it is now. By the time it gets back to that 78. So, you know, that, that's, a, that's a pretty big, that's a pretty big uh, head start to give the market over me if I have to convert my money and then it goes the other way. Uh, so I, you're right, um, Jesse, I haven't been buying US shares recently with my Australian dollars. I've been leaving them here and buying Australian um, Australian dollar-dominated shares. I don't love it either. 
I would much rather be buying a combination of both. Um, I think the head start is too much to give the market. I don't own the hedged ETFs. Here's the challenge with them to, to your question is two things. One is you're paying for that hedging. In other words, it comes out of the returns you're going to earn. So you are handicapping your own returns because they are paying a financial institution or a, or a counterparty, to use the lingo, to basically take that bet for them. In other words, I want you to make me whole if the dollar moves the wrong way. The, the, the counterparty effectively is ensuring that, saying, well, okay, if you want me to do that, that's fine. You're going to have to offer me something to make it worthwhile. So you are paying an insurance premium for that hedging. So that's what costs you money. Now, it won't be, I don't think from memory, it's in the management fee percentage. It's actually in the fund returns percentage. So be careful when you're looking at these things and looking at only the management fees. The management fee refers to the cost of running the actual fund itself. The fund's investments, in this case, it may well be that a currency derivative is an investment, which reduce the returns of the ETF, not increase the fees. If that sounds like the same thing, it kind of is. But if you're looking at individual lines of expenses, you won't necessarily see it. Um, last one for me on the hedge stuff. The reason it is bad is because if, if and when the dollar goes the other way, it's going to cost you even more money. So if the dollar falls from here, uh, then it's going to actually cost you money to be hedged. And the longer it takes to go back to normal, the more returns you give up because you're paying for those hedging contracts. Uh, now, that all of that said, I have recommended to our members a, uh, a hedged NASDAQ ETF relatively recently, six months or so ago. I don't know if I've said this before on the podcast. For exactly the reason you talked about, Jesse, I think the on balance, uh, it's, it's more likely you're going to benefit from the hedged. The last one thing I'll say, though, is at some point you want to sell that hedged ETF because... If it goes up to, let's say, let's say the dollar goes to 88 cents, be a nice problem to have. But at that point, the risk is on the downside. If you if you if it falls, uh, you've got you've got the wrong. You, you want to benefit from that, and you're you're paying the hedging, you're reducing your returns because you're paying that hedging, and you want you're getting that currency stabilization. So it, hurt, it costs you in terms of the premium. It may cost you in terms of future returns after it's higher. And if I owned the the hedged uh, ETF, I'd sell it when the dollar was high. Say it was 85 or 88 cents or something. I'd sell it at that point. And when you do that, uh, you're locking in a capital gain. You're then going to pay tax. You're going to rebuy something, probably the unhedged version, around and around you go. So personally, I think at extreme levels, the hedge NASDAQ makes sense. Just be mindful you're going to want to sell it at some point because when the dollar gets high enough, the future returns won't be as attractive as owning the unhedged version. Whew, that was long. How'd it go, Ram? Yeah, I, I can't disagree too much without getting into a macro opinions and as we so often say they are not worth much generally speaking opinions um i feel as though if you're someone who's got a lot of time ahead of them mm. just keep buying don't overthink it you'll you know it'll go against mm. you at times the currency and sometimes it'll go with you um it's hard not to employ some kind of hedge or timing thing that doesn't involve a speculation on the exchange That's rate. exactly. You just can't. I mean, yep. you, you implicitly you are spec. You call it what you like, yes. but you're speculating on it. And I that's will fine. say though that not hedging is also speculating because you have the option of doing that's either. true too. So there, there, it, too. you don't. There is no. There's no free lunch to avoid the speculation. And if you're not deliberately yeah. doing it, there are yes. two options available to you. Right, you could buy either. If you choose one over the other, you're doing it because you're you know, or you choose not to play the game. But either way, there is a there is a result. That yes, you are that, avoiding that is a fair point. The other thing I would say too, again, this is something that becomes more and more true the longer and longer the time frame is. It's like when you look at, so the share price of any company is a combination of the earnings per share and the PE multiple. And so the earnings yes, will hopefully right. march steadily upwards over time and the PE can move around the place. It might be a PE of 10 one year and 20 the next year and five after that. And, and in the short term, the PE, which is really just a proxy for market sentiment, is everything. And- and you really want to, if you're going to be putting your money into the market for a short amount of time, you, you kind of, again, you're speculating on, on sentiment, right? Um, we were talking about ResMed and, and uh, mm. a CSL on Friday, right? So it's funny with all the stuff that's going on with ResMed, when you mm. look at the forecast, they haven't changed one iota. That 30% drop is, is a compression in, in, in the PE. It's, it's a huge thing. When you start looking over 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, the PE is irrelevant. Everything is the earnings growth. Everything, you know, 98% or whatever is, is the earnings growth. And I feel as though 
you can make the same case when it comes to currency. So again, I don't know what the timeframes that are involved here. I suspect they're fairly long timeframes. So let's say for the sake of argument, what are we at? 63 cents, uh, US cents at the moment. And let's say that um, uh, in mm. 20 years, it's at 80 cents. Mm. Okay, that's, that's quite a big difference. But if also the per share earnings as averaged out over the NASDAQ 100 or whatever ETF you're choosing about have, have mm. compounded at six, seven, eight, nine percent per year, the change in the currency is irrelevant. Like it's, it's sort of like, it, it, if you feel as though these companies are going to, as a, again, in aggregate and as a whole are going to perform very well over an extended period of time, when you start looking at all of the factors that influence your return, you're going to have this pie chart where you have this tiny slither, which was which represents the impact from exchange rates, and you're going to have this massive, huge chunk, which is represented by the underlying earnings performance. So I, I would say on on that basis, that's another, I guess, argument for not worrying about the the hedging or or, or the timing element to it. Um, it. The bigger question is, do I want to be exposed mm. to those particular assets? Yeah, I think that's the exactly the right question. Uh, mate, uh, last uh, last one from Jesse. He says, finally, if you're still reading this. Is Domino's still a buy in your opinion? Uh, he then says, The Motley Fool has free articles online where they mention Scott's recommended shares, in quotes, with a banner across the top saying, you're reading a free article with opinions that may differ from The Motley Fool's premium services, blah, blah, blah. Are these articles unreliable? That's actually two questions, Jesse, but I will answer them anyway. <laughs> I'll allow it. Uh, I'll allow it. I think Domino's is still a buy, in my opinion. Yes, I think the future is very bright. It is not cheap. Uh, the future may not turn out the way I think it will, uh, but there is still a very long runway of growth for Domino's in terms of store count and profit, in my opinion. I also think there's a non-zero chance they end up expanding into other geographies they're not currently in. So I think it's a buy. Uh, I might be entirely wrong. Um, Motley Fool's opinions. So... We have, this is a good question. I'll try and answer it quickly. It's a bit inside baseball for people who don't want to hear about the Motley Fool and I understand that. But given you asked the question, Jesse, um, we, have, we don't have a house view at the Motley Fool. Um, so when we say the opinions of differ, we literally mean it. Um, uh, we have had, I think it's Telstra that is a buy on one of our services, a hold on one service and a sell on another service. <laughs> How is that possible? Because three advisors have three different views. In fact, it's even more than that. It's two advisors have three different views. I think that sounds strange it's because one of those services is an income service where Telstra is more appealing one is a total return service where Telstra is less appealing uh, so we actually have two advisors with three opinions uh, based on the mandate of the service and on the free site uh, I don't know what our writers will say about Telstra I don't care I don't ask them they don't tell me uh, I don't tell them what they should say or do or think so are they unreliable no they are just different views from different people uh, I will say that our investors are, uh, and our premium services uh, are, you know, basically there and are, are incentivized, are, are professionally incentivized, are expected to provide market-beating recommendations. So I would say that in a, in a relative sense, um, you should expect you can hold our services accountable to the returns we're getting. On the free site, uh, we obviously want our writers to do their best job to provide great information and where they do provide opinion for it to be well-based and well-founded. Uh, but we don't track that and we don't manage that and we don't um, we don't record, we don't record kind of collate it as a single uh, Motley Fool service or investment arts, um, newsletter. So, uh, which not say that it's any worse or any better, just it's different. And that's what we do. So that's uh, that's the answer. Um, are they any better or worse? I don't know. It depends. You probably track individual investors and individual writers and see who's doing better. Uh, what I would say is our premium services are specifically bundled up with uh, advice, full recommendations, full risks, as you've said the other day, Ram. Uh, we're accountable. The scorecards are completely transparent. So I was making the point that if, if a writer says something on the free site, don't assume it's the same view as something outside that. It may well be. Maybe identical, maybe better. Uh, but that's that's the way it goes. Um, Jess says, thanks so much for keeping us all on the straight and narrow. I thoroughly enjoy the way you see and talk for both sides. I also enjoy the good oil. Thank you, Jesse. He says, all the best from Jesse. Thank you, mate. That's uh, really useful. Thank you very much. Uh, Rand, let's get a question, a couple of questions from Simon. He says, uh, I'm sorry, I'm Hi, Scott and Ram, a question or two for the pod. Pod machine, I think you meant, Simon. Firstly, when you guys are looking to invest in your best ideas at a point in time, what drives that decision is it valuation 
growth forecast. If it's multiple factors, what bears the most weight? This point I have you to can't have a valuation without a growth forecast. Yeah, same, <laughs> same question, just just to be a pedant. Um, Assuming you're someone who does valuations, though, I mean, there are some growth investors who don't try. They say, well, there's a growing business and the market's this big, so I'm just going to go for it. Yeah, so. but those investors are idiots with all due respect, <laughs> if I can ah, put it out there. You got half our audience. <laughs> no, I don't think. Uh, let me let me let me backpedal <laughs> desperately here. Um, <laughs> you, you went very hard early on. There's not much back. You're gonna have to backpedal for a long, long, long way from there. You're all idiots. <laughs> no, what I really meant was <laughs> you took me out of context. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> when I said you're all idiots, I didn't say you're all idiots. So if I did, I didn't mean right. it. If I did mean it, I didn't. I misspoke. If I misspoke, I was probably drunk at the time. I'm going to rehab. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I don't know how you can look yourself in the mirror and call yourself an investor without having a, a, an idea of value. Now, that doesn't mean it has to be a hyper-sophisticated idea of value. doesn't mean that you have to have a 10 terabyte spreadsheet that, you know, is factored in everything under the sun. I've spoken before how, how embarrassingly simple my valuation approach tends to sort of be. You know, thumb suck where earnings are, thumb suck where the PE is, multiply them together and discount back by my desired rate of return. It's not 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 complicated but how can you invest if you mm. but when you buy something you are implicitly saying whether you recognize it or not you're saying that this is good value otherwise why are you buying it why, why mm. would you buy something that is is remembering what the definition of value in this context is fair value is something that will allow for an average rate of return Above, uh, you know, um, uh, uh, cheap and expensive in that context has to be put around that anchor point. So something that is overvalued will not will give you a below market average return. In which case, why are you why are you doing that again? When I can just buy an ETF and guarantee the market return, I'm I'm going to go out of my way to stock pick something that's going to give me less than what I can guarantee by just buying this other thing. Like it's it's a nonsense now. All of our valuations are wrong because none of us can predict the future. <laughs> and and very intelligent mm. research people can have totally different valuations. And the future will throw all kinds of, you know, black swans at us. But you have to have a view. You have to have a view. Mm. So the people, and I, I'm not having a go at you at all here because you're right. There are plenty of people who go, no, it's okay. I just, because it's going to grow. And so therefore I'm going to buy it. Think about that logically for a second. Let's let's take. I think it's always worth um, taking extreme examples to illustrate the point. So let's say pick your favorite company. I don't know. Let's pick on. I don't know. Uh, CSL. CSL tends to be regarded as one of the best companies. Uh, would you buy that? Is that worth four hundred trillion US dollars? Mm. I would say no. I'd be pretty confident to say no. Is it worth one cent? Well. No, it's it's probably worth a lot more than that. I mean, they're you know, ergo, through mm -hmm. the powers of deduction and logic, <laughs> the true value lies somewhere between the two points. Mm. And it doesn't you know, doesn't matter how great you think CSL is. CSL could be the best business, best cash generating machine that the world has ever known and that will ever know. And it is not worth 400 trillion US dollars. <laughs> exactly. It's not, right? Like you get yeah. to the point where it's worth more than every global currency combined. Like it's just, it's, it's, it's not. So I know that's a stupid example, but it's just one of degrees. You know, $600 a share, $400 a share, $1,000 a share. You know, they, it, it gets to a point where you have to have a view on that. So, sorry, I'm going to back down a little bit now but I, that, that's why I, hopefully that makes my earlier uh, ill-thought um, retort a, a little bit more justified in, in calling certain people uh, idiots plus you're um, all idiots yeah, yeah but I don't well I would say mate that our audience isn't uh, so inclined and they <laughs> understand very clearly that if you're going to buy something I mean mm -hmm. this is I look again little little bit of a segue here this mm -hmm. is where I often take issue with with some not all not in fact most not most but some very small selection of the property investing mm -hmm. community just go it always goes up you know it's just like it's the dumbest thing in the world just to say that 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 is good value at any price for the same exact reasons okay that point's made um, so what do, let's answer the question um, what do you do? <laughs> well, you have a awareness of a whole range of different companies, yeah. you know, um, whether you've come across them because you've subscribed to a newsletter or you've heard someone talk about it on Twitter or a podcast, or you've just done a bit of digging around and you found some companies. 
Then hopefully you've done a little bit of reading on them where you feel as though I understand something about what this business does. I mean, generally speaking, the big picture stuff, like, I don't know, what do you do? Um, how do you create value? Uh, what's the opportunity that you're chasing and what's the strategy to get there? And how reasonable do I think that is? I mean, gosh, if we met at the pub and I said, Scott, I've got a business idea. You don't go, okay, how much? Well, well if you do, you need a slap in the face. You go, what's your business idea, right? Like that's, that is clearly the mm. first question that you ask. That's a good and point. As, dumb, as dumb as an example as that is, that's what people on the market do. You go, to the, you go to the pub and say, oh, I've got a business idea. And they go, oh yeah, how much was it yesterday and how much is it today? And that's the decision that they make it on. It's, it's, it's the height of insanity. So, <laughs> so you've got to have that view and you'll have that view on a range of different companies. And I would strongly encourage you to keep a bit of a journal, you know, whether it's an A4 exercise pad or something like that. That, just write out your thoughts, you know? And, and, and as I've often said, for a lot of companies, you'll just go, I don't know, it's too hard. And that's mm. definitely the case with me and, and should probably be the case for most people. So that's, that's cool too. But you'll, you'll – and by the way, you're not going to do this in an afternoon or a week. Remember, this, this is a process, right, that you'll, you'll build up a, a, a base of knowledge that, that you've put a lot of hard work in. And if it sounds like hard work, it is. <laughs> but, you know, the rewards are really great if you can be bothered to do it and if not, buy an index fund. But if you want to do it this way, that's yeah. what you have to do. And then as part of after you've done all of that, you'll then start to think, well, what is this worth? You know, what would I be comfortable paying? And again, you've not once looked at the share price or a silly wiggly line on a chart at this point. You've, you know, I don't know if I was a gazillionaire and I could buy this thing out, what, what I think would be a reasonable price to pay. Um, uh, and then, then, and only then, do you look at the market and go, well, here's my shopping list. Um, there'll be a matrix there of quality and value, you know, something uh, y-axis call it quality x-axis call it value mm. and you want something that's at the top right of that chart <laughs> i.e really high quality really good value and you want to focus on those ones first if if, if and, and survey the landscape you'll often look around and they'll be like well there's a lot of stuff i like i not much i like the price on in which case don't do a damn thing sometimes it'll be you kid in a candy store. It was like, oh my gosh, everything's for sale. And that'll usually be when things are really scary, such as a global pandemic or, a, you know, an outbreak of a global war or something like that. But, you know, that's kind of what you've got to have to, to get these great bargains. But more often than not, you'll just see a general spread of things. And then you, and then you make the decision based on the opportunity set that is in front of you. Full stop. I can't add much to that, mate. Um, I think that's, pretty much bang on uh, i i think i would just say <laughs> to, to use one of my favorite political cliches i reject the premise of the question uh which is which one's more important if you only use one then don't do it by the etf yeah um because i don't think and again i mean that with absolute respect to the questioner uh, the, the simple reality is um you just need to be really really careful about trying to dumb it down to one number and say oh well, therefore it's this um, now, yep. range of numbers. Um, there's no perfect valuation. There's no perfect growth forecast. You get these things roughly right, and uh, you'll be roughly wrong a lot, and roughly right hopefully more often than not. And that's how you that's how you kind of move forward. Um, yep. So I, I think, um, I've, for what it's worth, I've just I've just said speaking of Ram walking things back, I've just said I wouldn't use one. I wouldn't use one either. If you made me use one, it'd actually be a founder CEO. If, if it came yeah. to that, if you if you want to rank yeah, anything. Yep. I found a CEO who still had meaningful skin in the, in the game. I would choose that. And yes, I would overpay sometimes. Yes, I'd underpay other times. But if you're going to make me choose one number, that's what I'm choosing. Now, I don't want to do one number. I don't want to ever do that. Mm. But if I had to, that's what I would choose. If you held a gun to my head and said, pick one, uh, I would choose that. Um, it, it must be valuation because growth is a, you know, valuation is a function of growth. Growth is a function of value. It's just how it works. Can I um, uh, very quickly... Mm. A few times now we've sort of said, I'll just buy the ETF. And I, I want to avoid the mistake, the misunderstanding that we say that derisively in any way, shape or form. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, because some of them, oh, well, you know, yeah, us, yeah. us geniuses, um, <laughs> leave, you know, right. leave the stock picking to us and you should do an ETF because you're just not smart. And I mean, that is, yeah, yeah. I, that's not the intent with which it's said. I actually- Mate, Just quiet listeners, no, we're not that smart. So they're, they're not, they're not going to overshoot, yeah, that's the, that's the <laughs> assumption. But, but on the off chance, one of them did miss that part of it. Keep going. 
Please don't. And I, I, I've got ETFs. That's how I invest in the US. Yeah. I don't have a, I, I own all of the big US stocks, but through an ETF. Um, I've got, my hands are full here. The ASX has got me more than busy, right? So I don't say it in a derisive way. And also, um, I would say that, not I would say, fact and historical uh, precedent would say that those that have done the ETF have outperformed 80% of yes. professional money managers yes. and do consistently. I, I really, I've mentioned this before a while ago, but I, I'm very fond of the writings of Morgan Housel, who's a former colleague of ours from US Motley Form, brilliant writer, buys his books, uh, uh, really smart guy. And he was on a podcast and he was, someone was asking him, was just like, well, how do you invest? It's all in ETFs. And, mm. and the uh, interviewer was like, oh, why would you do that for? You're leaving money on the table. Why would someone with your knowledge and experience and the rest do that? And he goes, everyone always assumes that I'm, I'm compromising here. It's like, I've done very well. <laughs> Like I've done, I've done exceedingly well over the long term here. You don't need to apologize or scratch your head as to why I am doing this. I am doing this because it is it is relative to what I prefer to spend my time on. By far, the greatest bang for my buck. So I really want to emphasize that point here: is that there is there is not only that there's no shame in buying an ETF. There's a huge amount of 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 intellect in buying an ETF, and frankly, too many of us male 99% of the time shouldn't be picking shares. It's only because we all feel as though we are, you know, God's gift to <laughs> investing right. and that, you know, we're the next Warren Buffett. If I think if any of us had a, the slightest degree of, of, of uh, humility, that that's probably what, what we should all, all do. Um, can I just get very quickly, just humor me on this because it was question was asked before. And I want to mm -hmm. say this just to show people how you can do something pretty basic. It might be an informative. Um, the previous, uh, uh, I was going to say caller, listener, uh, was like about Domino's, right? And I haven't looked at Domino's for, for example. I thought you might ask me after you answered, oh, you know, crap, I better, I better do some research on the fly here. But, but this is what I did and, and take this for what it's worth. So in 2023, they earned $1.48 per share. Let's call it $1.50. Right, mm. So I'm going to do a valuation right in real time here. Let's see. I hope this works. But I'm not going to do it based on anything other than a what if. And I think what ifs are really valuable when it comes to this kind of uh, approach. Because mm -hmm. it's not that I think this is going to happen, but I know yeah. what would happen if this happened, if yeah. you know what I mean. So let's let's do it this way. So they made $1.50 and I'm going to pull out of thin air the assumption that they're going to grow their per share earnings at 15% per annum. Now, that that's incredible, by the way, for a company of its its size. And I think any shareholder would be sort of happy with that. Now, you can argue, well, I think it would only be this, or I think it would. Well, fine. You can do those what-ifs. In fact, to be thorough, you should do a whole spread of what-ifs. But I'm going to do this. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to get my calculator out, $1.5.50 times 1.15. And I'm going to grow that $1.50 by 15% for five years. So one, two, three, four, $3.02 per share. Okay, there's my per share earnings uh, for the year 2028. Uh, and then I'm going to go, well, that's pretty good growth. It's a pretty successful company if it manages to do that. Uh, P of 25. Again, you can say, no, 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 it would be this. It would be that. Fine, <laughs> you do you, right? Yep, I'm just yep, doing an yep. exercise here. And I multiply those numbers together and it says to me that the share price in five years time will be $75.43 if, mm -hmm. if, if I was to do that. So then the question is, well, is today's price good? Well, mm. what do I want as an investor? I, this, you, people can come up with their own number, but I want at least 10% per annum. Call me greedy, call me unrealistic. I want 10% <laughs> per annum all in. I'm not factoring in dividends here as well, and, and, and Domino's pays a dividend. Yes, it does. So I should factor this in. But this is, as I said, this is rough and ready real-time analysis here. So I'm going to now take that 75 and I'm going to divide it by 1.1. And I'm going to do that for five years. One, two, three, four, five. Lends me a $46.83. Now, what does that say? Well, it doesn't say anything about the future, but it says this. It says if, and there's a lot of big ifs, as you like to say, if is the biggest little word in the English language. <laughs> yep. If Domino's grows its earnings at 15% per year, if the market attributes a multiple of 25 in five years time, and if I want a 10% rate of return, and if I'm going to ignore dividends, I shouldn't pay more than $46.83. Now, 
the reason I do that is to show you that we didn't need a spreadsheet. We didn't need to talk about margins. We didn't need to talk about macro forecasts or growth. You know, it, it is a, I think anyone can do this. And I think that you, you can play around with a whole bunch of different scenarios, but you will find a number. And I've got a number here that's got 18 decimal places on it just, for, just from that analysis. And, and, even though I'm pulling these numbers out of thin air, it's still informative to me. Mm-hmm. It says to me right now, having done that exercise, there's just like, well, you know, I, I either need a higher multiple than what I, I assumed, or I need faster growth than what I assume, or some combination of the two, or I need to be prepared for a lower rate of return for me to buy shares now. That's how it works. Now, yep. those, those, are, those are literally the inputs and the outputs. Yep. That, that's it. Now, as someone who has done the research, you will probably say, yes, but don't forget 2023 was in a bit of an abhorrent year and you're using mm-hmm. a false base and da, da, da. and there'd be a whole bunch of insight around that. So I'm, I don't want anyone to take my numbers yep. that I made up on the spot as face value. But I do really just want to, just to answer this question here, how do you, how do, you do it? Do, start, by, start by doing some very, very like level eight, year eight maths and you can go a long way with that. Nicely put, mate. Very nice. Sorry, put. mate. It was a long ramble. <laughs> no, it was good. It was really good. I think it was, After I think the it was podcast really is done now. Motley Fool Money. For more, subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. Hey, let's get a question from Benjamin who says, good evening, guys. Love the pot as always. This was sent in the evening. Obviously, this is now Sunday morning. So what's morning? Andrew's been for his run. Uh, <laughs> Love, love the pot as always. Just offering a brackets poorly thought out close bracket perspective for you to consider regarding your recent chat about the thirty percent tax on super on unrealized gains. We talked about that recently. He oh, says yeah. which can be um, offset by unrealized gains. He says I totally agree with all fallacy, especially in relating to, relation to holding large value, less liquid assets, e.g., property. Do you think, asks Benjamin? Maybe it could be a quiet way of implementing an inheritance tax on larger balances as they accrue within super. As assets sent through a will would not trigger a capital gains tax event and therefore not be taxed. This way they get to take their pound of flesh on the way for growing balances from people, quote, rich enough to cop it, close quote, though at a decent rate, but does not affect them if they have poor returns and fall back down amongst those less fortunate or less wealthy. I think you'll have more nuanced thoughts or understandings about it. Really good question. What do you hmm. want? You can go first. Uh, I'll let you go. Or, you're, you're more of, a, go you're more of a, a tax wonk than I am. <laughs> uh, it, sounds, it sounds reasonable enough at first glance, but I, I, haven't, I haven't thought about it as deeply as perhaps I should to give any valuable insight. But what, what do you, I know you have. What, what do yeah, you I, I have a little bit. Um, so let's, let's kind of try and, um, let's try and uh, wrap it up. So... I, I don't really know what the government's trying to do. Uh, we've said before, either it is poorly thought out or very deliberately thought out. And if it's poorly thought out, they haven't really considered that this is about the only time when unrealized gains are taxed in the Australian tax environment, uh, which I think is terrible. They may be doing it because they want to change broadly the way we think about taxation. And maybe there are other unrealized gain taxation on the way, which would be scary and, and terrible, but that's possible. The other thing is maybe they know exactly what they're doing and they are trying to get us to take assets out of super where it's concessionally taxed and put them in our own names where it's over that $3 million threshold, which is what's been talked about, which would basically be taxed by another name. So rather than wanting or expecting tax in super from those gains, unrealized, they may be happy to say, well, okay, take them out of super, put them in your own name, therefore you avoid the unrealized gains tax. But then in your own name, if you sell them, you're eligible for or you're, you're on the hook for higher tax rates because super is generally um, a lower tax environment. So that might be what they're trying to do. Uh, basically put, a, put a, a de facto cap, a soft cap, if you like, on total super above which people would rather take their money and do something else with it. So I, I would speculate it's that. I don't think, and I, I, I have no insight, by the way, no special insight. I have no access to, to Treasurer Chalmers. Funnily enough, he doesn't, he doesn't call me very often. Uh, he's never called me for the record. Uh, I don't suspect it's a, it's, a, it's a version of an inheritance tax. I will say, by the way, the CGT stuff, capital gains tax, does apply for inherited assets, but only at the point of sale, 
not at the point at which the assets are, are transferred. So there is that. So the tax is still payable. It would just be a timing difference rather than a size difference uh, that you otherwise might cop when it comes to the way we think about superannuation. Uh, I, I could be wrong. I could be very wrong. But that's my best guess that that's kind of the way uh, to think about it in terms of what, what the government might be thinking. So yeah, speculating wildly, um, I think that's probably what's going on. I think they're probably all about uh, trying to push money outside super or just collect it inside super. I don't think it's an inheritance tax per se. Um, I think people would rather take it out than pay the extra tax is probably what'll end up happening. That being said, it could work exactly as you suspect um, that if it's done inside super at a higher tax rate, uh, then they do collect some money, which would be, uh, it would pull forward the inheritance component. So again, it, it won't change the size of it uh, necessarily, unless the inheritor has a lower tax rate. So that's possible as well, but that'd be my best guess. I think it's just a terrible, uh, terrible policy generally. I'm actually, speaking of being um, controversial, I'm actually not opposed to the idea of an inheritance tax for large estates, um, which is going to annoy a whole lot of people. Maybe fewer people and Andrew calling you all idiots. So I'll just, remember, just remind you that if you're going to have a go at someone, have a go at Andrew, not me. Um, but I'm, I'm just not entirely sure that... I, I'm, I'm really worried about inherited inequality. Uh, it, it, we're always going to have inequality as a country. We're not a socialist country. We're not a, not a communist country. There is, there's a reality to... you know, There's value to um, the system that actually ends up with inequality not as a aim but as an outcome because it means that people are incentivized to work and to but gain i think we all do well as a society because of it i'd rather live in a a less equal very prosperous country than a very equal dirt poor country right it's an easy it's an easy decision uh but i am worried about uh the ability or willingness of inherited inequality to change the fabric of the country over a couple of generations we're already seeing the bank of mum and dad um, before people die helping out kids uh if you you i'm sure you know people who have you know lots of money and they'll give that to their kids and their kids will end up with a very 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 good head start there are, you'll know other people who don't have the ability to give their kids anything or, or not much at all and so, you know, it's not a matter of just individual inequality if we both start from birth with the same system and we get to where we get to because outcomes are unequal. We start with unequal, uh, with meaningful inequality. That worries me meaningfully as a policy decision. Again, this is about policy, not about investing. Um, so I actually, I do think there is some really significant issues to be dealt with when it comes to inherited inequality. I'm not so worried about earned inequality. It's, it's an issue. Uh, we should probably have a think about, but the inherited bit is where systemically things go off the rails real fast if you fast forward a couple of generations. So um, let me be more controversial actually while I'm wonking out on tax. I actually don't think inheritance tax is the answer. I think it's actually taxing um, gains at a higher rate. I don't like the 50% discount on capital gains tax. Love it personally. I'll take it. Um, but uh, the reality is that we're, we are taxing gains uh, capital gains at a lower rate than earned income and that just means that those things compound faster and can be left to descendants in a, in a more unequal way I, I don't think we need we shouldn't need uh, meaningful inheritance taxes if we had meaningfully appropriate capital gains taxes for example so there you go i've annoyed the other half of the audience as well um <laughs> capital, by the way, v, capital, capital v labor the age-old debate right? yeah just quickly by the way on capital gains tax uh, i i'm not saying i wouldn't uh, i would do anything. I'd go back to the old system where we indexed the capital gain for inflation. I think it just it was it was a beautiful system, perfectly designed. Uh, the government then changed it so they get rid of the indexation, just give everyone half half price capital gains tax. Um, I think that was a, a terrible decision. I think it's bad bad policy for uh, raising tax revenue. I think it's bad policy for inheritance inequality. So there you go, mate. That's my wonkiness. Did you want to have a thought, or are you no, uh, going to dodge some... the whole thing? Well, I'll dodge it, but I'll, I'll say this. Someone <laughs> said at the start of the pod that all we do is repeat ourselves. So I'm going to repeat myself <laughs> into that. I, I always, I've, I've got to look this up. I forget who to attribute it to, but someone very wise once said, in designing our politics and society, you need to do it in such a way as that after it's designed, you don't get to choose your place. So we all have a big lottery, right? And it's just sort of like, so you don't know where you're going to land. Like, Generally speaking, if I've got lots of capital, um, 
and you ask me to design the system, <laughs> well, I'm going to design it in a way that benefits me. Even if I try yeah. really hard not to, it's just, I'm going to be yeah. biased. If I'm someone who's, whose uh, income is derived through labor, I'm going to design it to be more favorable to me. And I've always thought that is the best, best, mm-hmm. best way to design a society is to sort of say, well, we'll all put our heads together. But afterwards, you don't get to say maybe we, you know, where, where you or your kids land in that heap. So it's just like, you want to be careful you don't favor the, the upper quartile too much because you might not be there. And you don't want to make sure that you give all your money to the poor because you might be at the top. You know, So it's sort of like, it's just a wonderful lens to look through which removes your own bias from that scenario. And I think if we were able, and maybe it's an impossible task outside <laughs> of just a pure thought experiment, but I think that I think we'd have some pretty good outcomes if if we took our own situation, lived experience, biases out of it. We'd probably be able to design something that was that was far superior. Mm. Yes, uh, and and the, the the biggest challenge with public policy is we don't have a lot of public policy minded people. We have people who want to not do the exact reverse of that, which is create policies that 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 benefit their particular section of society either either on behalf of themselves or their donors or their constituents or something else uh, when i say constituents i don't mean the whole country i mean those who vote for them and that's yeah, the, the problem we've got is they don't they don't do exactly what they should do which as you say is uh design the perfect system and then see where the chips fall they say well here's where the chips are and here's how i'm going to design the system who was it was it oh, you you'll know is it victorian um jp morgan uh, no the um uh <laughs> the cost of living minister who owns like seven oh, investment yes. properties or something. You just like yes. yeah, right. read the room guys. Like they just like, I don't care how nice a person you are. It's just like <laughs> you, you cannot, you cannot mm-hmm. possibly have any impartiality in that. And, 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 and frankly, not just impartiality, but you can have Correct. no without the most incredible effort of empathy an ability to, to mm-hmm. the people that you're representing or, or purportedly looking after, how can you possibly <laughs> understand their scenario mm-hmm. as someone who is so ostensibly as, as, as wealthy? Like it, it, it's like, yeah. it's like saying we're going to make uh, an arsonist the head of the fire service, right? Like just, you're just not a good fit, frankly, you know? So I, <sighs> I'm not going to defend a bloke with 17 properties other than to say- I'm not saying there's anything wrong with 17 properties, but I don't want to yeah. put the boot in him for that. But I'm just saying yep. if you're going to put someone out there to represent a certain yep. section of the community- um, Yeah. Even then, I, 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 we just talked about you know design the system, design the right system. If someone can have 17 properties and genuinely fulfill their, their, their role as- as a minister, and there should be a minister of cost of living. It's a stupid political, you know, trying to seem to be do something, which is also stupid, right? Mm-hmm. I, I guess I'm just making the point that to your point about design the system and then, you know, the ships fall where they fall. If you can have someone who can who can faithfully discharge that responsibility despite that, you know, someone with so many properties who could then say, actually, but the right thing for the society is for there to be more tax on properties, for example. Yeah. Now, is it going to happen? Probably. I, call me a cynic. I don't think right, a guy right. like that is going to advocate for those kind of policies where it's just going to significantly and, and very Probably acutely not. impact his personal situation. Probably not. But I'd like to think it was possible. And I'd like to, I guess the other thing is I'd like to think if I was in the same situation where you were, we would try and do the right thing rather than the benefit of us, right? That's kind of, I mean, I just, just talk about capital gains tax, right? I've, mm-hmm. I've said many times on Twitter and elsewhere, that would cost me money. You know, stage three tax cuts I would benefit from. I don't think they're a good idea. And I think, you know, it, it should be possible. We should, here's, me, here's me being Pollyanna. It should be, it should be possible that we could have politicians who would say, this is not good for me, but it's good for the country, so I'll do it anyway. And I guess I would, I, I would like to think if I was in that position, I would. Now, it's easy for me to say that because I can yell from the sidelines on Twitter and there's no chance of me actually having the vote to cast it. Would, mm. I, would I say the same thing if I was actually casting my vote on the floor of parliament? I hope so. I, maybe, I'm, again, maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm just being... Um, uh, maybe I'm being a bit Pollyanna, but I'd, I'd like to think that we could look past people's personal circumstances to say, despite that, you will still do the right thing. It's possible. It's just not likely <laughs> is my point. That, that's yeah. all it is. And I feel as though whenever we have uh. a system that we, this is a really great system, as long as someone who's really intelligent, wise mm. and selfless is in that position, then it's a great mm. system. I'm like, okay, but does such a person exist? And if they oh, do, not. they're very rare. They're very, very rare. And and, and it That's means that probabilistically visual, in 99% yeah. of circumstances, we're going to have someone who's not appropriately credentialed to to make the decisions that matter that's probably right and that's that's sad hey yeah uh, let's go to a question from michael who says hi andrew and scott 
Everyone tends to put Scott's name first. We don't want him to get a big head, he says. Ah, Thank you very much. A quick funny story before my question. I I will not be the garf uncle to your Simon, Mr. (laughs) Phillips. (laughs) Beautiful music together, though. Oh, yes. Uh, Great, great. I went to their concert a couple of years ago. It's great. Simon Garfunkel, did you? Yeah, really? yeah. They, oh. they 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 got the band back together. Oh and mate, they played out at Homebush. It was it was really great. Yeah. I saw Sting play with. I saw Paul Simon stay with play with Sting. Oh, uh, not, not, been a, not a as a treat. duet, obviously, but two two kind of the bit they did their own songs, a bit of each other's songs, and a little bit together. It was really really cool. Very but, uh, cool. Would love to see Simon Garfunkel. Big yeah, regret, I never saw Neil Diamond live. Ah, I wish yes, I had. That I wish, I had, too. I wish yeah. I had seen him live. But there you go. Uh, a quick st- funny story back into topic a quick funny story says Michael before my question about 8 years ago I decided I wanted to start investing I was in my mid 20s let me do the maths yes I hate you Michael uh, and knew next to nothing about the stock market so my completely novice brain thought quote I should start with a blue chip stock something that's safe and stable something that's unlikely to go to zero during my lifetime end quote now, being a listener of the podcast, I understand the word I was looking for was ETF. But back then, I said along West Farmers because, quote, coals will be around forever, right? End quote. Cut to the present day, and West Farmers is one of my best performing shares. But it has absolutely nothing to do with my original thesis. In fact, it seems to me that Coles was holding it back. It's a great example of how you shouldn't think you're a genius because you fell butt first into the right answer. Uh, Michael, you obviously have been listening because that uh, pretty much describes Andrew and I. Uh, <laughs> it goes on. Now, so now I'm in a position where I'd like to do what I should have done at the start and purchase some ETFs as a stable backbone for my portfolio. But I'm a bit unsure which ones and how many to purchase. I could go with the Vanguard Australian Shares ETF or the Global ETF, NASDAQ, the Asian Tech Tigers, or anything else you might suggest. What would be your top two or three to aim for? Thanks for all you do, Michael. There you go, mate. On the spot, two or three ETFs. Go. Uh, <laughs> VAS. Uh, is that a company name or? Uh, it's Vanguard uh, uh, 200, is it? Or 300? 300. 300. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Can't go wrong with that. Um, on our podcast, Andrew Page. Come on, <laughs> help me out here. I own that one too, I think, in a super account somewhere. Yeah. And uh, NDQ for the NASDAQ 100, again, going back to an earlier question, <laughs> I think that's a pretty good one. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually, I mean, I haven't thought as, I haven't, I haven't done the work really, but I would <laughs> just say I would want it to be from, I think Vanguard's just a really good one because they run, they basically run it for the lowest profit and that's their competitive edge and i think they're mm. well aware of that so they yep. they yep. they compete on fees and they've got the scale to effectively compete on fees and i'm a big john bogle fan as well who yeah. founded it all so i think like for me i sort of biased towards that um so i think i, I would i would look to some of the vanguard ones and just try mm. and get the, the indices the the etfs that track the broadest sort of indice and keep it so keep it vanilla forget about the hedging forget about the equal weighting, forget about mm. the sector-specific stuff, just, you know, co- covers the ASX 200, 300, 500, something like that. Same for, a, for the US market, you know, go go for and play some golf or do whatever else that make, makes you happy. Keep, keep it simple. Um, yep. I just want to, I did want to say though, um, uh, I think a lot of us, and, and I, I am more guilty of this than anything, is <laughs> that we we all suffer from an inertia. We, we start off by doing things, if the best of intentions and at the time feel as though makes an appropriate amount of sense, mm. we invest our money and then later on through experience and learning just go, mm, wasn't the best move. <laughs> uh, but here I am, what can I do? And it's like, it's really dumb when you think about it, right? Like, it's like, well, I can, I can press a few buttons and I can yeah. change that Start again. instantly, yeah. yep. like well, virtually instantly. Yep. And I say that knowing that, if I really hand on heart look at my portfolio, <laughs> there is some stuff I really should put the bullet in and reallocate somewhere else. Yeah. Super hard to do. It's yeah. super hard to do. But but I think it's just just worth it bears repeating to sort of say if and I think all of us will find ourselves in that position at some point or another. Remember, this this is look, you know, this is one of the real advantages that shares has over property. I mean, it takes so long to sell property. It costs a fortune to do it. And even when you do it, you've got to wait six months to get your six mm. weeks to get your money, you know, in most, most circumstances on the share market, I can do it by the time my coffee's gone cold. <laughs> right? right. So yeah. uh, you, you just, just, just remember that you can do that. And, and yes, some people are saying, ah, oh, but tax, but tax, but tax. That's true. Um, 
But if you've got a long time frame in front of you, uh, then that's probably there's there's you don't want to stay in a bad investment just to, to avoid a little bit of tax. And frankly, if it's a bad investment, you don't have any tax anyway. So mm. you know, don't ignore it, but but don't overthink it. Yes, I think that's I, yeah, as long as you think about the tax, I think that's right. Um, ETF choices, I yeah, I, I, I've I've recommended to our members Vanguard, mate, for the reasons you've suggested. But one other really big one, and it, well, it's, it's the same as actually your first point, but I'll, I'll put it in a different context. I hope to own my ETFs for the rest of my life, which is a very long time. <laughs> and if I, even though the ETFs own roughly the same stocks, if I sell the ETF, I've got to pay capital gains tax on that. So if I got to switch from the Vanguard ETF to a BlackRock ETF or an iShares ETF or an ETF Australia ETF, I'm going to have to pay tax on the gain I've made in the meantime. Now, at some point, that tax hopefully is very meaningful, but it also means that the cost of moving will be more than the cost of staying. Okay, so you say, well, okay, we'll stay then. That's true, except if, you st- if you're in the wrong ETF, if you're paying higher fees, for example, another ETF, or you're in an ETF provider you sort of end up not loving, you end up with this devil's bargain of having to choose between two bad options. And so the reason, which is your initial point, mate, just putting in that context of long-term tax uh, realities, is if I got to pay that, if, if I, gotta, if I, if I w- don't ever sell, I want to start with the end in mind. And I'm saying to myself, which ETF provider is likely to serve me best over the long term? Now, I mean, absolutely zero disrespect to any of the others, completely. And there's not a criticism of them at all. But if I'm in a not-for-profit ETF that's owned by the ETF's own investors, that maximizes the chance that we talk about alignment a lot. That maximizes the chance that throughout my hopefully multi-decade holding period, the interests of the unit holders, i.e. me, are aligned with the interests of the people running the fund, which is Vanguard. Uh, Vanguard's not there to maximize profit. The others are. And I love profit, right? We, we invest in profit-making businesses all the time. I work for one. You work for one. Um, we're looking to maximize profit, right? Andrew, Andrew can only afford his 15 Lamborghinis because of the money that Strawman <laughs> makes from his members. Um, that's how this works. Um, but, uh, you know, but that's, it's important, right? It's important. So I, I, I honestly started with, I, if, I had to, if I had to place chips on long-term unit holder friendliness, and maximizing that or minimizing the, you know, Bezos talks about regret minimization framework, right? What am I going to regret? Am I going to regret, if, if Vanguard ends up being a little bit more expensive over the next 40 years, that would kind of be not cool. But looking, looking from this point forward, in terms of minimizing regret, I'm going with Vanguard as my preferred provider because I want to own for those multi-decades. I don't want to be, you know, if, and let, let's, let's pick a scenario where some other fund uh, ETF provider is, the fee is double by then. Uh, now, I'm then, okay, well, I'm now paying more fees, but I don't want to sell because I've got to pay capital gains tax. They've literally locked me in, right? Because mm. the capital gains tax is more than the fees, so I stay, but I'm still worse off than if I had gone with a lower fee provider in the first place. Now, there's also, by the way, last one, last point. There's no guarantee that the uh, the Vanguard's fees will be lower because scale matters, right? Even if you're an op-for-profit, it may be the benefits of scale for the big guys overwhelm Vanguard's ability. So I'm not saying Vanguard's going to have the lowest fees or will always have the lowest fees, but structurally... I feel most comfortable. I, I think I'll have least regret, even if it doesn't work out well. Probabilistically, I'd rather be with a big not-for-profit provider owned by its investors. That's just the way I would choose to put my chips. So for me, it's, it's absolutely Vanguard. Um, to that point, the BlackRock, I, I think NASDAQ ETF is run by BlackRock, I think from memory. Um, if I was gonna own them for 40 years, I do, I do own Vanguard. Um, uh, the ASX 300, I own the Vanguard Global. I think somewhere in my son's name, I can't remember exactly, I should know, but I don't. I also own the, the NASDAQ one. So, so I'm talking about both sides of my mouth. But if I had to choose, even though we said earlier, uh, I think the NASDAQ's going to outperform the other. After fees and over the long term, would I go with that instead? I'm not sure. If I was going to buy two ETFs, I think I'd honestly just do the, the Vanguard Australian ASX 300 and the Vanguard Global. And be done with it. And then if you want to add to there, by all means, go from there. Um, now, we said before, I think the NASDAQ's going to outperform. So how do I say the same thing out of both sides of my mouth? Uh, because I, if I'm talking about a super long-term holding period, then I kind of care more about the fund manager than I would if I was just asked outright, which one do I think has the best long-term investment outcomes? And that feels like I'm saying the same thing twice or different things, but about the same topic, it kind of is. Um, but if I, if I want to pass these ETF units to my kids, and I want to minimize regret, I'm probably going Vanguard Global. Yep. Keep it simple. I mean, yep. 
you know. Yep. The other thing I just, again, because that's what we do, repeat ourselves, <laughs> is, is remember that, I mean, it's different if you're 63, but mm. for anyone who's really below 35, 40 probably, um, the biggest swing factor is going to be the amount of money you save more than the return that you get. Mm. Now, that's, that's not true if you're going to invest in something that's going to go to zero um, or potentially invest in something that's going to 10x your money. Yeah. But all else, when you're starting getting to the point where which ETF am I going to choose, mm-hmm. there's not going to be a massive gap between the very best and the very worst if you're sticking to the, the broad-based, low-cost ones. Particular ETFs, yeah. Really, you know? So so yeah. I would say absolutely think about it. It's the right thing to think about, mm-hmm. definitely. And, mm-hmm. and Scott's made some excellent points, but- you know, the, the moving the dial in terms of what break out a spreadsheet, you'll see what I'm talking about. The things that really move the dial is if you can save an extra fifty bucks a week and do that for yeah, thirty years. Right. That's going to move right. the dial more that's than you so can true. possibly imagine, right? That's so true. Um, you know, can can you live without a case of beer a week? Oh, you know, I don't know, whatever, whatever, whatever dalliance you you feel as though you can cut back a bit on. Mm-hmm. Gosh, what am I talking about? Inflation. <laughs> it's not, it's, Fifty dollars for a case of beer. I'm living in 1983. Well, mate, uh, anyway, no, you, you, know, you know what? You're not living in 1983. I used to sell. I worked in a grog shop when I was going through uni, and on special, you get a case of beer for twenty three dollars. Wow. I still reckon fifty dollars. You know, how you, you know, you kind of anchor to stuff. Yeah. I, I, when, when, a, when a schooner of beer costs more than four dollars and a case costs more than twenty five, I am st- I am still physically hurt paying that sort of money. I know. I know inflation's a thing. I know they've gone up. I get it. Something's just stick in your head like that's how much a case of beer costs. Like yeah. you say 50, I'm like, that sounds reasonable. I'm like, oh, that's right. They're not even 50 anymore. I don't, it's, yeah. I was in the bottle shop the other day. I was a, was a four pack of uh, craft beer was 30 bucks. No. Was, yeah. I'm like, man, that, that would want to be mother's milk, that stuff. Like that is, yeah. The good, thing, <laughs> good news for me, mate, is I'm not cool enough to drink craft beer. So I can, I can actually still shop at the lower end of the, of the price spectrum. It's all relative, but- uh, I'm not buying. I'm not. I think you'll find a case of uh, or six pack of VB would be at least uh, 20, 25. I, didn't, I don't drink VB either. Let's 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 yeah. There's somewhere okay. in between there. Oh, Ooh, yeah. it's a mystery. Okay. <laughs> I uh, well for, for listeners out there who want a recommendation. Oh, actually, oh can sorry. I guess? Can I guess? Yes. Go on. Two years old. Well done. How do you yes. remember that? Yes, I remember. Well, I don't mind. I don't mind the uh, the darker beers, but yes, two years old is very good. Also, I, I but an extra one for our South Australian listeners. Cooper's Dark Ale is very good. Oh, yes. So if you haven't tried Cooper's, you can't get it a lot of places in New South Wales. Maybe I'll get it probably everywhere in South Australia, but if you can try Cooper's Dark Ale, very good. Also, I'm a bit partial to Guinness, mate. Oh, yes. I, I do. I do oh, like very a, much so. a glass. Yes. We have gone way off tangent, which probably means it's time for us to uh, call this to a halt, particularly as we're recording this on a Sunday morning. We're not drinking beers on Sunday morning. I, I, all of a sudden, I feel like a beard. <laughs> Is what it too you? early? <laughs> <laughs> Never, so, uh, my old man just said, sun's over the yard arm, which I think means it's midday. I, I, some would say five o'clock, but uh, Close enough. Say the sun's, as long as the sun's over the, the yard arm, let's go to the pub. All right. Uh, <laughs> on that note, as we let the door slam and head off to drown our sorrows or otherwise uh, thank you for listening thank you for spending a bit of time with us we hope you've enjoyed it if you got to the end of our beer recommendations i'd go actually what was your beer recommendation ran give our listeners one i see i like craft beer i like yeah. i like i like my indian pale owls and, and the oh. rest of it. so yeah can i there's a beer called really splicer it's very bloody indian pale ale Gone. Uh, yeah, I, I, I just I like this. It's more flavor. It's, it's almost like a fruity flavor. It's a very strong hops. I like a hoppy beer. Uh, and it's called a splicer. And uh, yeah, I recommend it. <laughs> no comment. From I'm, not sure just shaking his head. I'm not sure I can come to that. <laughs> Don't knock it to your tray. <laughs> I, uh, I think I'll go on. <laughs> what? <laughs> no, that was it. Splicer. With that. Yeah. I reckon we're probably done. We are well. Uh, thank you for being. Oh, really? Okay. We are. Well I think we've got a really. I think uh, we've got a really bad lag between until the connection next week. Enjoy your beers and fool on. Bye. The motley fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. The Motley Fool operates under financial services licence 400691.